Welcome to China Manufacturing Decoded from Sophist, the podcast where we take you through the major news and topics facing importers and manufacturers in China and Asia today. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the China Manufacturing Decoded podcast. I'm your host uh, Renu Anjaran, and today I have two guests on the podcast.、Uh, so. We've already had Clive Greenwood a few times、uh, on on the podcast, and we also have、uh, his partner Andrew Wilson, also from WWMG, who is based、uh, in the US now after having spent a long time in、uh, in China, and we're going to cover、uh, an interesting topic. In most cases,、uh, where a Foreign customer works with a Chinese manufacturer. Depending on who has the so-called design authority, who issues the specifications, and 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 so on, where does liability actually reside when things go wrong?、Uh, this is actually、uh, we're going to talk about a big disconnect here between the expectations of the different parties. So let me、uh, kick it off by asking Andrew. To cover usually from the customer's point of view, let's say for example, a U.S. company is going to develop a new product with a Chinese manufacturer. What do they actually expect? You know that the manufacturer will will, will tell them. They 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 might may, maybe expect that the manufacturer is quite professional, a little bit like a U.S. manufacturer, a typical U.S. manufacturer would do. And and is that correct? And and maybe Andrew also maybe you can stop、um, telling us just a little bit about your 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 background. Yeah, certainly. Thank you, Renaud, for for having me today. It's an honor.、Um, yeah, my name is Andrew Wilson. I'm a partner of Clive Greenwoods at WWMG Associates.、Uh, I've been working in China and in supply chains for over 13 years, and have helped a lot of small, medium-sized enterprises in the U.S. and as well as tech startups、um, source and procure goods and manufacture goods. In China and help structure their supply chains、uh, in in China and Asia generally.、Um, and you know, to answer your question,、um, you know, many、uh, companies in the United States,、uh, particular from you know, particularly small, medium-sized enterprises and tech startups, when working with contract manufacturers in China,、um, you know, really expect them to understand、um, in depth the markets that they're、mm-hmm. exporting to, and, and under you know, have them. Have a deep understanding of the regulations and the,、um, you know, the 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 types of certifications that the product is going to need and、mm-hmm. specifications it's going to need to be met in order to be exported to that market.、Mm-hmm. Um, so many of these、uh, companies, smaller companies in particular, are very reliant on the manufacturer to provide them with the, you know, with the information they need to. Get their product through customs and to meet all, you know, regulations of the market for that product. Right. So, yes, it, it's a little bit like they would buy from an established manufacturer in the U.S. Right. That's really the the general、uh, thinking. Is is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Right. And so, what is actually the The real situation, let's say, with the average、uh, average contract manufacturer in、uh, in China, <laughs> do they actually 
basically know the market well and what the customers can and cannot accept and um, all the, the, the applicable regulations and, and so on and so forth? In many cases, that is not, that is not true. That is not the case. Mm. And I think we, everybody on this call knows that to be true. That in many cases, they are very unaware uh, of regulations, especially when it comes to FDA. Um, you know, so it, it's something that uh, can trip up a lot of importers um, when they when they're importing their product, uh, or they can receive, as you know, golden samples, and then when they get the bulk shipment, that many of those products do not meet the the golden sample that they received, um, and are very disappointed as such. So true. Yes. Uh, Clive, do, do, do you want to add something to that? Uh, yeah. The, if we talk about the U.S. market in itself, the first and if we talk about product liabilities and liability laws, well, first and foremost, what you have to understand is that the U.S. federal law, when it comes down to product liability, there is not a U.S. code. There is a code of practice, but not a U.S. code as such. And basically, each state will have its own liability laws as well. But the basic concept around this is, is, is either it falls down into three categories, okay, mm-hmm. which is strict liability, breach of, breach of warranty, and negligence. Mm-hmm. Within, a, within those, there is three or more subclauses. One is manufacturing standards, the other one is design, and the third one, which is the one which catches many people up, is the failure to warn, which is a very Mm. wide standard. Now, failure to warn, for example, brings us to a, as I wrote in my my last paper, which which I sent you guys later, the fact is that most lawyers will tell a supplier not to offer advice because offering advice would, in fact, provide a route for liability if something is wrong. Mm-hmm. So the failure to warn and the normal general advice is tell people what it says on the box, but make sure that that's correct. Mm-hmm. When you talk about the EU, well, that comes under a a, a very old established law called um, EU 85-374-EEC, which is very clear on its its power and also on its use. And that is that the persons or person that brings brings the product to market is liable. And in, 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 with no limitation. So mm. if you are an agent, you are liable to the same as what the manufacturer is. And right. that comes down to yeah. who they can get their hands on. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course. Yes. Much, yep. much easier to, to grab the importer and, uh, and bring them to court if, if it's really, really bad, uh, rather than trying to, to, to enact any kind of judgment over, um, uh, manufacturer in a very far away jurisdiction, right? Uh, yeah, I think that's yeah. the well, when, when you've got joining jurisdictions, it's, it, it's basically a legal mess and it's extremely complex. Right. But if we talk about who owns ultimate responsibility, 
believe it or not, that is with whoever owns the design authority. Yeah, that's a pretty um, pretty important concept. Um, so you, to make it very, very simple, there, there's two basic cases, right? Case number one is the buyer um, designs the product and gives the designs to the manufacturer yep. for manufacturing. Uh, and in that case, if the manufacturer has to do some engineering work, it's uh, basically on direction, you know, under direction from the buyer. Uh, right. And then the, the opposite case, again, to simplify, is that the manufacturer um, owns sort of, yeah, owns the intellectual property of the product. Maybe they, uh, let's say they, they developed it themselves and the customer only purchases it and distributes it. And in that case, the design authority resides with the manufacturer. Right. right. So in this simplified uh, situation, uh, case number one, if something goes wrong, manufacturer is at fault. Case number two, uh, if something goes wrong, the customer is at fault. Can we say that it's that simple? Uh, no. Um, the, 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 the problem comes in, in how each state law or, or, or national law mm-hmm. interposes itself into 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 the liability laws. Now, in most cases, now if we took the EU case for example, it doesn't matter who's at fault; the manufacturer will be at fault, or according yeah. to law, will be will be seen as liable. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. no, the manufacturer. If, for example, that manufacturer has just been asked to design a product and sell a product, the design authority can still remain with the overseas client, shall we say, or the the, the, the person who's paying for it, as in paying for it to be manufactured. If the point is, if that person has to approve any of the design, then they are liable. If they don't have to approve the design, then the manufacturer is liable. Got it. Okay, okay so that's that's the key the key distinction here. Um, key distinction is who is approving the design. Okay, and when you say design, it's not just um, like the design files and so on. It's also the quality standard, the specifications, the testing plan. Yes. Yes, <laughs> that, and most people, most most companies I see sort of forget that. But um, the design and the specifications, maybe we should say this way. Yeah, well, basically, what you've got to look at is who is doing the DFEMA, and who is going to authorize the DFEMA. So, just for for the listeners who are not very uh, familiar with that, um, FMEA failure modes and effect analysis is a kind of risk analysis. And the DFMEA is a design, basically is a risk analysis on the design. Uh, unfortunately, it's not, in many cases, in, especially in consumer goods, uh, there is no such analysis. It's, it's really a pity. Um, but as Clive and Andrew work a lot on, um, on, on, on medical devices, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of a must there. Um, 
same thing in 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 uh, automotive and automotive yeah aerospace aviation yeah, yeah aerospace uh, yeah, yeah. yeah and telecoms as well by the way okay yeah okay so uh, what you are saying is that at the at the time of the evaluation and risk analysis on the design itself um the party that does that risk analysis and based on and then you know they, they're supposed to take some actions put some controls in place maybe change the design and so on to keep the risk down to a, mm-hmm. a level that they deem acceptable and 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 finally there is a residual risk right and yep. and then they, they have to think okay when it comes to quality potential quality issues when it comes to potential reliability issues and so on we still have this residual risk what do we do about that and maybe that's when it comes to um, the the um, the obligation to warn as you said earlier right that's they, they right might, yeah you might put it that's on the labeling it, and the user yeah. manual and so on yeah so it's, it's yeah yeah the, the the concept would be of course that the the manufacturer, as Andrew clearly says, that the manufacturer is deemed to have general professional knowledge of the product which he is supposed to be making. That does not alleviate the failure to warn, and it does not evaluate failure to meet with compulsory standards. However, if the buyer, for example, tells him, don't worry about it, it doesn't make any difference because that will increase the cost, then they are doubly liable because then it's then that could be actually classed as reckless endangerment. And that would, in the States, that would come under federal law uh, and probably put them mm. uh, directly into, uh, into strict liabilities. Um, okay. the, the use of breach of warranty is when a product would would fail before its intended or designed failure dates or numbers of operations. Right, right. right. Um, so it's a reliability, typically reliability issue. Typically um, reliability, yeah. Or, or, or it could be a quality issue, meaning uh, coming from poor manufacturing rather than poor design, but then it would be cut pretty early. And it, it might still come under warranty, uh, but yeah, these usually come in the first couple of months after... Uh, yeah. Now, uh, an interesting nice. point here, Raul, is that when you're talking about the um, the design, you're also talking about the components and the component design as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Picking the right yeah. components is part of the design. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's many, right. Now, many many buyers rely on the contract manufacturer to work with their upstream vendors to supply those components. Right. Which is which is oh, yeah. passing, which is which is basically, this would come under the general professional conduct of general professional knowledge right. uh, defense. But the defense to general general professional knowledge is extremely weak. Mm-hmm. If you have not done a documented QMS on this, mm-hmm. so okay, um, so let me. Let me get back on this because it's um, Andrew put the finger on something quite in, important. Yes, very often the buyer, even if they they design the product, will leave some of the the work uh, up to the contract manufacturer, including um, working on the bomb, the bill of materials, 
picking yeah. you know some of the components maybe the buyer picks some of the critical components and leaves all the rest to the to the manufacturer um, and when it comes to screws and, and cardboard and things like that uh, that probably makes sense but in some cases they, they pick uh, the display the battery things like that and that's where when uh, things can really go wrong uh, and I and same thing actually on the, the engineering design. Sometimes maybe the, the buyer would do would work on the, the firmware and the, the software and the app. Let's say it's an electronic product, and 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 maybe they would they would do um, uh, they, they would do the, the PCBA uh, schematics and layout and all those all these things. But maybe they leave all the mechanical uh, work, mechanical engineering work, to the manufacturer, um, or, or, or the opposite. And in that case, same thing. They actually, uh, uh, how to say, they count on the manufacturer to do that work and they hope that the manufacturer does it well. But to, to make that even worse, and that's why we, we talked about a big disconnect uh, earlier in, in, the, in the episode, to make, to make it much, much worse, in China, very often, the manufacturer will not charge the buyer for that or we not charge the full amount that they should charge for that work however they believe it's their um how to say their intellectual property and they do not share it with the with the buyer which means yeah. the buyer has a hard time actually doing a proper risk analysis that's right or auditing their those upstream component suppliers yes. which put them at risk yeah and if you look at it, if you look at it from my world then in that case, you are looking at something which is totally uh, uncompliant. Oh, um, yes. Uh, I mean, if the buyer doesn't have the bill of materials, doesn't have the design files, their their technical folder is um, is, is it's pretty useless. weak. It's, 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 it's useless. So it actually wouldn't be accepted. Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, the problem is that in reality, when you look at the way a lot of companies work, that, that's the sad reality. Um, they, they have some of the information, but not all the information. So in that, and, and in that case, they cannot, they cannot conduct their requirements under statute laws. Yes. Right. So if, the, if something goes wrong, they really have no defense, Right. They have no defense now. Is it because you mentioned negligence? Would that be called negligence or something else? It could be argued to be negligent. Yes, it would. Okay. It would depend on the severity of the occurrence. Um, if, for example, somebody is physically hurt, then it is almost likely that the, that the um, that they would be facing a negligence charge, yes. Right. And that means in case it's a pretty serious issue, maybe some people were injured or, or worse, or it, it costs a lot of money to one of the customers, yeah, they could they could end up in court and, and they would be in a pretty bad position. Is that correct? Yes, because the 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 the, the defense of negligence has to be that you can prove that you have conducted all and necessary due diligence and risk assessment on that product. Mm. 
Yes. Uh, it, it doesn't say you've just got to have a look at it. This is when you're going to need to present all your your technical files, all the product development files to show that you have considered this at every stage. If you haven't done that, then you have no defense. Right. So, and the worst case is, you know, all, all these small companies that started to be Amazon uh, sellers and that went on Alibaba and picked some, uh, you know, a nice product and, oh, please make it in that kind of, that shade of green and with my logo and, oh, here's a nice packaging that I designed. And and then they, they start to sell it. And some of these products, you know, electrical are for kids. <clears throat> they, they, they might come with pretty serious safety uh, issues. Some of them might be used for... Um, detecting an illness or, or things like that or, or, or curing. So they might be considered a medical device, even though they're not aware of it. Um, so yes. these people are they're... just distributing a product and they have zero technical information about that product. Uh, so these people are, are putting themselves at serious risk. Is that correct? They're, they're putting themselves at risk of jail. Let's not mince words here. Mm-hmm. EUMDR. 2017 is very clear on on how it distinguishes medical products and it is it's quite wide i mean a class one medical product for example is for example an iir mask mm-hmm. okay it requires an eu uh, sorry uh, a ce safety standard and that ce safety standard for that to be now valid it has to be if it's a new product mm. it needs to be compliant to EU MDR. If it's uh, an older product, I would say, which is, say, three years old, then it still has to be compliant to EU MDD, mm-hmm. but EU MDD still requires. Yes, a lot of this. Okay. Right. Yeah, it, it still requires this. So there is no aspect, and this is why people have been caught out with providing masks, for example, with ear loops, and there, there is not a single ear loop design. Yeah. which is compliant yeah. to these standards. Uh, let's mm-hmm. be right about this. Not one is compliant. Right. Now, if you move down the, the higher level of technologies towards class two, class two Bs, as you know, I work with class two B products. Mm-hmm. The design file that you need to submit is extensive on the extreme. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you have to have considered and you have to prove that you have considered, and you have to prove that you have done the tests. Now, as Andrew says clearly, if you are a startup company trying to move into this space, there is an enormous, rightly so as well, an enormous cost which has to be incurred. Now, from a compliance point of view, if you cannot afford that cost, you shouldn't be making that product, and you sure as hell should not be supplying that product to a regulated market oh yeah no definitely so yeah when it comes to anything that comes under the the definition of a medical product definitely uh, there's a very long process it does cost a lot of money um, and yeah it will take a long time to put it on the market in a compliant way so that that's clear Um, if you if you provide automotive parts to General Motors or Volkswagen, uh, same, same thing. thing. You're yeah. going to have to follow the, the 
also advanced quality planning process mm -hmm. yeah and uh, and you know you're going to have a peep up to follow and things like that it's going to take a while also it's going to take a lot of engineering work um okay let's and let, let, let's go back to more general consumer goods uh, some of them as i said before uh, are electrical some of them are for kids some of them are maybe for use in a uh, critical application somewhere in the field for, for a business customer or utility customer and so on. For, when it comes to these products, they might not be regulated as tightly as, let's say, medical products. However, let's try to give a few action items to, uh, to companies that, that are starting to design such a product, right? And they want to make sure that they um, they have all the design files and so on. They have to make sure that they, they have an idea about the risk and that they do the right testing and that they, they keep all the right records and everything. So where where should they actually start? Um, it, it's, you know, it, it's going to take them a while. It's going to, to take a specific budget. Would you recommend, in general, would you recommend that they go to a Chinese manufacturer, you know, early, and that they start working with that Chinese manufacturer on on the development, or no. would you suggest that in general, yeah? So what 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 would you what would you suggest? Well, the first thing I would always recommend is that the very first action should be a post market surveillance report. Sorry, a pre market surveillance report. That's the first thing. And in that, you're going to find out exactly what standards the product is going to be applicable to. Yes. Without that, you just don't you don't know where you're going. Right. Initial um, planning, right? Initial planning. Initial, when it, initial when planning start. To, part of your your, yeah. your pre-market surveillance will be, uh, and that that's quite easy. You can look around and see other products which are of a similar type, shall we say. Right. And right. and say, right, okay, this standard, this regulation or this directive will apply to this product. And at that point there is where your design would start. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. What about also looking at maybe customer specific requirements and things like that, right? That would that's part probably... of your post that, that's part of your pre market surveillance. Yes. Yeah. Yes, at the same time, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so say it's, that, that that file is quite extensive. Uh, I, I sent you a copy of one the the, the other week. Uh, our our post and pre market surveillance mm -hmm. processes. Yeah. At that yeah. point, when you know this, you can start the the, the conceptual design. Mm -hmm. When you have the yeah. conceptual design and you have got at least an understanding of what regulations are going to be applied to the product. At that point, then is when you could engage a supplier. Because part of that surveillance that you're going to have to do, this is even before you get to the point of asking for requests for quotations, you have to have the product very well designed or, or defined, should I say, in terms of regulations and laws and applicable standards before any type of pricing can, right. can begin. Yes, definitely. And not to mention that you might have to work with certain types of manufacturers that have certain certifications uh, so, and you should definitely yeah. avoid talking to anybody else. 
And then you should certainly verify that those certifications are legitimate um, through through various government um, online um, websites and verify that those certifications are real. Yes, because if those certifications tend to be not real, it's irrespective, irrespective of who was at fault. If a product went um, went uh, went wrong or went to error and caused um, and caused injury, for example, and the investigation showed that the people that you bought this from or the or the people that's made it for you do not have a the necessary certification and, and authorities. That's bad. Yeah. Sure. If you. Yeah. If you find out that that you've been given a certificate which turns out to be um, not correct, being kind, you would be liable, not so, them. So before you start exchanging any kind of information with, with new suppliers or anything in, in the details anyway, do your due diligence, right? So, do your due diligence. Do do your do your supplier quality management actions. Yeah. Spend yeah. the money to save you a lot of pain in the long oh, run. Yeah. Oh yeah, because I, I I think it's pretty clear. We can say that picking the the wrong supplier will be extremely damaging to 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 the project uh, to the point where the whole project might fail or it might have to be restarted one year later or two years later after a lot of money has been um, thrown down the drain. Yep. Um, would you, would uh, you say that? Yes, or you could be, fa- or you could be faced with a, with a complete product recall as well. Uh, yes. yes, if you actually go through production and put it on the market. Yes, yep. yeah, absolutely. Okay. And that, and so, that, that could cost thousands and thousands and thousands. Right. So if, if I recap first, do your initial planning to know what um, what uh, regulations or standards apply. Make sure you know exactly what the requirements for, for, for the customers, for the, the, use, the users and so on will be. Uh, and then um, do, as you say, the conceptual design. What are the, the, the features going to be? Uh, how, how actually would it, would it work? Uh, and I would say as much as possible, do yeah all the initial design yourself, uh, because when you are think when you're developing the conceptual design, that that's really not the strength of the manufacturer. When when you you know it's much better to work with a good industrial industrial designer, make sure it looks good and works can work as it's supposed to be. It will force you to clarify so many of the, the specifications and the details of the product and things like that. And manufacturers are really not experts. They, they really can't contribute much to that. W- would you agree with that? Yes. Yes. Absolutely, I would, yes. Mm. Then you Yeah. No, please run. Oh, so, and, and, and then, yeah, as you start talking with manufacturers, do your due diligence carefully before sharing anything to them. Obviously, Intellectual property. There are some uh, legal tools that you need to um, to to use here uh, to make sure that they are bound for to, to confidentiality, non-use, non-circumvention, and so on. Uh, make sure if they start to do some of the development work, also that there's an agreement on that, and who will use 
who will um, own the, the resulting IP, uh, whether you can pull the molds, if there's, there's some, some tooling, for example. Uh, there's, there's a lot of considerations here. Maybe we don't need to go into that. But if we stick to product safety, let's say you, you, you're doing some development together with the manufacturer, what do you need to do? You know, I, I think it's pretty important to have a pretty clear plan for the, the, the verifications and validations, you know, the different mm-hmm. types of approvals that the, the product design has to go through uh, before you even think of going into manufacturing. Absolutely, there is, yes. And that's, that's why uh, an understanding of the, uh, the state laws and regulations and directives is important because that right. is where you're going to define your, your root market. Right, right. Yes. So if the if if the applicable regulations do force you to to have certain types of approvals, of course you ha- you have to do that. But let's say let's say you 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 are designing a, a product and there's no such uh, you know stringent type of uh, of a regulation when it comes to design and development. They don't really force you to to do anything in particular. Um, and you look at ISO nine thousand one. It's also um, it also leaves you a lot of freedom, right, on, on how, how you're going to, um, to validate and verify that the product meets the, the intended usage and, 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 and uh, the requirements from the customers and so forth. So what would you say are the, the most well, basic? Uh, okay. The, yeah, the, the first thing to notice that if, if a product is going into the EU, it will have an EU directive. No matter what it is, it will have an EU directive, that is for sure. Mm-hmm. And within that, remember as well, the subcomponents within the product, which is where things tend to fail coming out of China, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is that the actual subcomponents will need to, to meet a certain standard, mm-hmm. which means that they will still need to meet a certain performance standard. Mm-hmm. Now, the question is, when you're designing that product, are you giving them, the the manufacturer, for example, are you giving him what the performance requirements are? And in many cases, not. The individual component performance. Right, right, right. Yeah, you have to translate it into, hey, look, you know, for example, reach will apply. So all the components yeah. go, that go into it must not have more than that much uh, content of all these restricted substances and so on and so forth. So. Correct. Yes. Maybe it makes sense to work with which certified uh, sources to start with. Yes. Well, I mean, a, a classic example is steel. Mm-hmm. If you look at steel standards, steel have a, a molecular makeup, and mm-hmm. that grade of steel will have a range of carbon, of sodium. When mm-hmm. you analyze that, even though they, you, you, you will get certificates that says, it meets this standard when you take that piece of steel and actually put it under an electron microscope or, or whatever, you find it done. Mm-hmm. This is common. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. happens, Extremely important. Yes. Yeah. Well, this happens a great deal. <laughs> this happens yeah. a great deal in automotive manufacturing, by the way. Uh, a great yes. deal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, the question is A, how did that happen? And B, Okay. Yes, you may have caught it, or you may have not have caught it. Mm-hmm. What happens then? What you have here is obviously 
a warranty liability. Oh, because yeah. your warranty, your warranty is now useless. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. If the steel cannot uh, doesn't have the right physical properties, then you might be in for a, a pretty uh, disastrous kind of failure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, the question be before us is who is liable? It's clearly not the design person, providing the design person has actually told them not to that this must be. And a lot of this case, Renault, is on the wordings of contract. Mm. So a very clear statement and a very clear contract, which says that this will be to this standard, is important. Now, if that happens, that you have clearly said, this is why you would have a PIPA, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, or, or certainly the AP, uh, AQPQs, which, which would define what it can be. Mm -hmm. Now, if it's not that standard, unfortunately, the manufacturer, if they own the design, is still liable. Mm -hmm. Okay, under EU law, he's still liable, and same as as well under um, under US law as well because that comes under failure of manufacturing. Right. Okay. okay. So that's, that's really related. Uh, basically, everything that you've told us so far is that um, the, the specifying, you know, the requirements very clearly and very well is really extremely important because then you know what to request from the component suppliers, from the manufacturer and so on, and you actually already know how to test it would you would you agree with that? Yes, because if you know this, this is your only defense against product liability. Right, right, right. And when we say requirements, yes. So again, they can be about uh, the components, uh, maybe the grade of steel or the the amount of certain substances that they have, and uh, maybe their physical properties and so on. It, it's it's about the manufacturing process. It's mm -hmm. um, maybe about the design of the product itself when it comes to reliability is it going to withstand all the stresses during the expected lifetime yeah. um, you know without leading to certain kinds of failures that are related to safety it's very very wide right so i obviously we cannot cover that today but i'm trying to to get at at the general conclusion that really people can um, can note can uh, can record in their brains is that if you want to have safety products you want to avoid any um you know you want to reduce your risks when it comes to to, to liability on the products that you you put on your market um, you have to make sure that the requirements in terms of applicable standards in terms of um everything the, the use of the product uh, how it works how, what the, the performance and, and so on and so forth you have to really spend actually a lot of time defining that in advance and have a very strong plan and then from there um, if you stick to your plan and you make sure that what what you required is what you're getting then again if your plan is good your liability will be greatly greatly reduced okay yeah. is that correct if i summarize that's it correct that's correct yeah okay. certainly yes. and a lot of that also goes with correctly selecting your supplier from the start to make sure that they have oh, those yeah. capabilities, that they have the equipment needed to mm -hmm. test 
those um, that fun- those functional requirements um, and making sure that you know they are capable of manufacturing your product to the applicable standards. Oh yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, you're sort of forcing them to subcontract to some other uh, workshops, and maybe they will not give you visibility over that. Um, yeah. And yeah. Um, and yes, you you touch on a, an important point. If they have the testing equipment in house, uh, at least for some of the tests, then that allows you to to request. Maybe you send your own staff to do some some work there with their equipment and record the data, or you. Uh, require the manufacturer to do the testing and give you the, the records. And then you, you can do these as a combination together with probably with some external testing, right? Yes. So it's, it's all about uh, cross-checking. Great. Cross-checking um, and validating their work. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Well, that's quite useful. Uh, I think we, we, we did a, a nice job of covering this, uh, this topic and, and thanks Clive for, Research, no problem for the research um, you've been uh, you've been doing. That's that's helpful. <laughs> and uh, and and thanks, Andrew, for for coming on the on, on the podcast. Uh, we'll be happy to, um, to 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 get you back if 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 you'd like. I mean, we'll we'll, we'll talk about that. I'm sure there will be other opportunities. So yeah, again, thanks so much. And for the listeners, I hope that uh, I'm sure that that's been helpful. Actually, I'm pretty sure about that. I hope that you had some some takeaways and some some action points. You, you will hear from us uh, next week in the next episode. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophie's Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com, that's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com, to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share, because it will really help others discover us too.